Scofflaws is a show about the history of crime, criminals, and the investigation thereof. There may be discussion of adult themes and generally icky stuff. Also, neither host is a legal professional, and this show does not contain any legal advice. Remember, crime doesn't pay. Unless you're really good at it. Hello and welcome to the Scofflaws, a history of law and disorder. My name is Sean and joining me, as always, is my lovely co-host, Kate. Say hi, Kate. Hi, Kate. Alright, so Kate, before we uh, we get into today's episode, or before I even let you say what today's episode is, I have a bit of a story from yesterday that I have not told you about because I wanted to get your your reaction on the, uh, on the podcast. Uh-oh. Alright, so we record these in advance. Yesterday was Mother's Day. Um so I went over to my uh, my parents' house, as you do on, on Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. And Gilda is in the background trying to ruin audio. <laughs> um so here uh so some context to going to my parents' house. Um there were Hold on, I'm gonna shoo her away. I'm gonna pick up on that. Get out of here! Shoo on your bike. All right, <laughs> all right. So some uh, some context about going over to my parents' house. They have two very large dogs. Mm. My sister has two very large dogs. Yes. I have one very tiny dog. Yeah, you do. I do. Like, for context of size, their smallest dog is, uh, I forget what breed it is, but it's the breed that's like corgis, but with actual legs. Uh, Australian Shepherd. Yeah, that's probably it. Then they... No, it's an Australian Cattle Dog. There we go. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, then they, then between my parents and my, uh, sister, they have these twin golden retrievers <laughs> that... As of right now, or somewhere between 80 and 90 pounds each. Yes. And then they have a husky dog that is some sort of weird husky oak and barrel hybrid. <laughs> so anyway, I'm, I'm over there and I brought, uh, I brought my dog along. So the total dog count in the house is five. Six if you count Sean. Huh? I said six if you count Sean. <laughs> so anyway, um. I brought them all over. My dog has hidden herself in the corner behind my sister, and uh, we're making fun of her because uh, she is barking at the other dogs while hiding. And I'm uh, I'm standing by where <laughs> she is, and one of the two golden retrievers rears up like at a forty-five degree angle on its back legs, and just the only word I can use to describe it properly is punches me right in the nards. So I do what any sensible person would do. I collapse in the heap onto the couch and start bawling laughing. And that's when all five dogs start jumping on me. (laughs) The 
<laughs> and that's why the size of those dogs was important to this story. I can just imagine Tilly trying to get in there. Oh yeah, no, she she was like that that cartoon image of like a bunch of piglets trying to get into like a feed trough and the tiniest <laughs> one is just trying to like leap in over everyone. <laughs> So that was my yesterday. <laughs> oh my goodness. Whew. That that brought tears. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. So uh, what what are we talking about today uh today Kate? Uh well, thanks to Benjamin Cormalis, one of our brand new fans. Uh we are going to be discussing DB Cooper. Um, I feel like you know who he is, Sean, because you put him in the intro or you put him in the preview episode. Yeah, no, I know he doesn't make radial tires. I, I, I <laughs> um, I think it's, it's, a, isn't it one of like the the great bank heists of like the modern era? Close. It is the only unsolved hijacking in human history. Skyjacking, excuse me, like where you hijack a plane. Hmm. Yeah. That sounds so- uh. Sounds like something worth talking about. Let's uh, let's dig into D.B. Cooper. Uh, so basically, he wasn't a real person. Well, he was, but his name wasn't real. You're a phony. Hey, this guy's a great big phony. And his the, his alias that he actually used was Dan Cooper, um, a newspaper outlet screwed up his name and made a db and it stuck because it sounds better than dan insert marissa tomei oscars joke here exactly so this dude hijacked an airplane got a ransom for it jumped out of another airplane and was never found that is baller uh yeah they've had i think they up to 200 suspects for this case but here are uh the details of this event. Uh, So November 24th, 1971, Dan Cooper, who's dressed in a business suit and is really, looks really average, but also kind of well off. He's placed in his mid forties. He's about 5'11". He's Clark Kenting. Yes. And he's very polite. And that's a common theme throughout this whole thing. He is very polite and courteous. Um, He buys a one-way plane ticket to Seattle, which is normal in the 70s. Um, It's a 40-minute flight, uh, so it would be a quick flight from Portland to Seattle. Portland is where he was flying out of. He, When he was on the plane, when it was in flight, he handed a note to a flight attendant, and she didn't think anything of it because, you know, they hired pretty girls. So the pretty girls were used to getting notes saying how pretty they were and giving phone numbers. That That is such a difference mm-hmm. from what it would be nowadays. Like the second a piece of paper got passed to anyone, all of a sudden it's, it's a lockdown. The air marshal is going seat to seat. Exactly. So in 1971, this isn't the case. So he orders a pack of peanuts and like a rum and coke or something. Don't quote me on his actual drink order. I forgot what it was. Basically, um... He stopped her in, like, five, ten minutes later um, and said, Miss, you're going to, or ma'am, you're really going to want to look at that note. I've got a bomb. And the note 
was his rant uh was him wanting to speak with the pilot so he spoke with the pilot and demanded two hundred thousand dollars which is in the millions today how different would this story have gone if they never read the note and he just nebishly got off the plane at his destination like oh well (laughs) i guess next time so that's actually really funny that you say that because his the whole theme was that seattle wasn't his destination (laughs) It's just a stopping point. It's kind of like a layover. So he, the pilot, his his stipulations were that he needed four parachutes and $200,000 in $20 bills. And the FBI was very smart and they photographed every single bill before they packaged it up and put it in a suitcase or whatever. So they have images of all of these, all the money so that people know if it gets spent in North America they know that it belongs to uh, this criminal. That that might have been smart on the FBI's part, but I promise you that I wouldn't know one $20 bill from the next. <laughs> Even if I had a photograph to compare it to, I'd look at the picture and I'd look at the 20. I'm like, yep, these are both 20s. <laughs> um, so that that's kind of, it, it goes somewhere with that. So he gets off of the flight in Seattle after terrorizing the entire plane. And then he, part of his stipulation was that he gets an empty flight with just the, an empty plane with just the flight crew. Um, they give that, they give him his money. Um, he has his parachutes and he gives very specific instructions for this next plane. So, uh, if you, have if you want to know how polite this guy was he didn't yell he was just so chill and then his orders that he gave were that the plane was to fly southeast to mexico city leave the landing gear down in flight which if you know anything about planes even in passing you know that is a terrible thing yeah now when i when i was a kid i was really into like the wright brothers and all that mm-hmm. i that creates so much drag on the plane. Exactly. He also required that the plane keep the cabin pre- depressurized, uh, that it fly at a minimum speed, um, and then a maximum altitude of 10,000 miles. Um, so as slow as it can go, and it can't go higher than uh, 10,000 miles altitude. Oh, if you're keeping the cabin depressurized, that probably would be so that everyone doesn't pass out. Exactly. So he was kind of considerate, but and he didn't want to hurt anybody. I think he just wanted to do this thing. Um, well, let, let's be fair. He he had he had a very definite investment that the plane he was in not crashed before he got off it. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's that's a a big factor. <laughs> um. Priority one, some might say. <laughs> so, a little after 8 p.m. on November 24th, uh, between Seattle and Reno, D.B. Cooper jumped out of a perfectly good airplane. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. That's that's wild. I I, I would have liked to have... I... I'm I'm stuttering again. I would have liked to have been like a fly on the wall when he jumped out of the plane. I I can only well, hope that he did the the little like salute and then like fall out the uh, the hatch. 
So that's actually part of it. They had two Air Force pilots following the plane and didn't they didn't see the jump. Oh, wow. Extensive searches of the area where he is said to have jumped have proven fruitless. And so that's the story of the event. But all of the shit that happens after is, like, mind-boggling. It's like, think of your favorite crime TV show where they can't solve something. This would make a really good drama. Oh, it sounds like it. I mean, you, once you once you've reached the point of hijacking two airplanes and hopping out one mid-flight, you're you're already up there. Yeah, you're already better than ninety percent of like Bones plots. <laughs> so, um, after five years of investigating this case, which they called Norjack as the FBI code um, or Northwest hijacking, they had interviewed eight hundred suspects. So my earlier number was wrong because I was just pulling it out of my ass. <laughs> Eight, they had interviewed 800 subjects and after five years only 24 were left for consideration norjack sounds like some sort of as seen on tv anti-theft device for your car yeah yeah it does um from the brightest minds in norway <laughs> we bring you norjack <laughs> that was better than my russian impression <laughs> Um, so back on the, on the topic of the money, uh, none of the photograph money showed up ever until a boy found, um, I think five to 10 stacks of $20 bills in 1980 in Vancouver, Washington in a stream. Lucky boy. He found them in a stream. So he turned them, turned it over to the FBI because it looks suspicious um, and th it's still in um, the FBI's records. You can see them online. Uh, the FBI has a whole webpage dedicated to D.B. Cooper because um, files were uh, decensored or whatever it's called um, in 1980-something and then 1994. The moral fiber on that kid... Perfectly honest, if I was that age and I was just walking along and found a stack of 20s, all of a sudden I'm going to have a kitty swimming pool full of Pokemon cards, <laughs> just being honest. Well, the money was also very corroded and, like, ah. it had been there a while, so it wasn't like he, this this kid could spend it all. I think he was, like, between 8 and 10. I don't remember his exact exact age. But in 2016, 2016, uh, the FBI officially closed the case. Um, it was being explored as a cold case from, um, since the 90s, uh, but it is officially closed as of our podcast recording. Um, but with all great heists and everything, there are conspiracy theories. What's your conspiracy theory on this before we get started, Sean? I want to know. Um... Hold on, let me bring out my hair for a second. Okay. Aliens. <laughs> no, that actually did not get explored in any of the uh, sources I looked at. Really? No one played the alien card. No one played the alien card. Um, you gotta play the alien card. <laughs> my favorite theory, it's less like detailed, but it's pretty chill, um, is that the FBI just wanted, they were bored and they wanted something to do, so they dared a guy to do this 
That's a pretty commonly accepted theory. <laughs> hey, hey, Frank, Frank, I dares you to hijack two planes. No, not not just one plane, two planes. <laughs> Double or nothing odds if you hop out of the second one. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why these FBI agents are in Boston. <laughs> Um, so one detail about the D.B. Cooper. So this is actually a larger theory that someone put a lot of effort into and multiple news outlets covered this one. It's not as... This is someone's red string board? It is. And it's not... It it has been proven false. Um, and I'll explain why later. But at least three sources, uh, go about this guy saying it's Robert Rackstraw. So letters. Another awesome name. I know. Um, we got that guy, and and what was the name of the 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 gentleman thief from like episode two? Claude Duval. Claude Duval. Claude motherfucking Duval. Scofflaws. Claude Duval is a now our uh, our mascot. Just so you know, so if you see him like wandering about, he's kind of our pet at this point. <laughs> um. So shortly after the hijacking. Many letters started arriving to major news outlets bragging about the D.B. Cooper successful skyjacking. None of the letters were printed, and they all had a code at the bottom. It was just a string of letters and numbers. After, I think, 15 years, the code was broken, and it was led to Robert Rackstraw um, because the codes were tied to the units that Rackstraw had commanded during the vietnam war and it was thought for a while that those codes were to let his units know that he had successfully done it and that he was okay and then years later we find out that rackstrap is actually dan Harmon, (laughs) and that the notes at the end of rick and morty episodes are a continuation of his dastardly plot So, fun fact, I actually imagined D.B. Cooper looking like um, uh, Don, Don from Mad Men. I could see like, that. I didn't, I, like, like, clean cut and a nice suit. Fun fact, I've never actually finished Mad Men, but I have a theory that that might be the end. That would be funny to me. I haven't even started it. <laughs> um, it's, and it, it, it would make sense because Don just goes through so much and... Uh, the show ends in the 70s, so I'm not giving away any spoilers, friends, because I started the show and then I stopped watching it after 1972 because it was the same plot over and over again. But um, that'd be funny if that's how it ended. Anyway, Rackstraw was considered a uh, big suspect in the case because he had all the necessary training to complete everything. He had um, training in psychological operations, high altitude, low opening parachuting. Basically, with his pseudo Green Beret training, he, um, like, the FBI had already had, had tabs on him. Um, they had already interviewed him in the late 70s, early 80s. And it was, uh, he was ruled out. But... Here's the conspiracy that some people have been tying to this. Did the FBI keep the case open for this long because Rackstraw is a former FBI operative? Dun, dun, dun. And uh, the answer is no. 
because Rockstar was 28 when the Skyjacking was performed. Too young to be the mid-40s D.B. Cooper. I'm, I'm going to play the the Price is Right sound of the, the clamor going over the edge of the cliff right there. I like that idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, when he was first considered in um, the late 70s, the flight attendant looked at a picture of him and said it wasn't him. Also, Rackstraw was a dick. He, like, <laughs> his personality, like, there's no way this guy could be polite. Um, he tried hijacking planes in Iran a couple of times in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, and he was actually on trial for murdering his stepfather. We're looking for a Clark Kent. <laughs> not a Bruce Wayne. Not an Ollie Queen. Clean cut, polite, infallibly nice. <laughs> my conspiracy theory is it's Don Draper. That's, that is my ending conspiracy theory to the story. The true American folk hero that is Dan Cooper. Don Draper or Dan Draper? His name is Don Draper. Don Draper. Wasn't that a character in Three's Company? I've never seen Three's Company. Uh, I might be screwing it up, but I'm pretty sure... I, I Draper reminds me of some sitcom. Draper reminds me of a costume professional. It's their job to, like, create costumes. But I digress. So, uh, that was our first episode on one entire person. Well, it, uh, I liked it. It was, uh, it was nice to, to focus in on something rather than cover the breadth of history on a subject. Well, and this is a huge thanks to, uh, Ben Cormalis, um, one of our dear friends from Bristol Renaissance Fair, who said that this was his favorite scofflaw in all of history. So... We decided to do an episode on him sooner rather than later. Right, and uh, I thank you, Ben, for, for making your suggestion. Um, I believe we left you some sort of pun on the Facebook page about it. Yeah, I did. <laughs> uh, all right. So, yeah, that was uh, that was the history of D.B. Cooper, the infallibly polite hijacker. And, uh, well, okay, if someone wants to, uh, to find our show, where can they go to find it? Well, if you are on the social medias, Facebook is our most active social media bit. Um, also, we can be found on our website, scofflawspodcast.com. Uh, you can also, if you want to share us, we are on all major, um, all major podcasting outlets, including Google Play. Uh, iTunes, Stitcher, you name it, we're on it. If we're not on it, send us an email um, and, at scofflesspodcast at gmail.com and we will add that to our list of places to put our podcast. Or we'll tell you about the rejection letter, you know, whichever. We might have fun rejection letter stories if we have bonus content that might end up there. Oh, and before we before we finish signing off, I do have to issue uh, a slight correction because i know someone's going to send us an email about this at scofflawspodcast at gmail.com um last week when we we're doing the uh, regicide episode and kate asked me for for regicide and popular media sorry i didn't mention game of thrones i'm sorry i'm sorry please don't email me i'm sorry 
I've never seen Game of Thrones, and nor do I intend to, so it completely passed it over my head. It could be called Regicide the Series. So I've heard. So I've heard. Also, another correction. Also, don't email me. Don't email me. Don't email me. Um, we all know, and we'll probably fix this later, so Sean can edit this out if it doesn't get fi- if it gets fixed. Um, we all know that Marie Antoinette did not say let them eat cake. It was gossip. But, yeah. I say it said she did. I, uh, loosely said she did. But she didn't. I knew she didn't. I don't know what I was thinking. It's got to stay in now. We've opened the box on Schrodinger's cat. It's dead. <laughs> I get that reference. All right. So, yeah. We gave you the Facebook. I slightly snuck in the email. Again, it's podcast at gmail.com. If we don't change it to uh, something else. Yeah. Um, Using our website. But that's a conversation for later. Yeah. All right. Do we have an idea what we're doing for our next episode, Kate? Uh, it's looking like it might be the golden age of piracy. Uh, that's going to be a two slash three parter since there were three ages in the golden age of piracy. Um, so stay tuned. We'll find out if it's going to be a one parter, two parter, or three parter. Yep. It sounds like either way, it's going to be a a bonny good time. Ah, and, um... ha, ha. You, I hope you read about it later. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I can't think of a pun for Blackbeard. So, so before we uh, before we wrap up here, I will go ahead and do my do duty on this uh, this podcast and do my two seconds of research to find a silly law. And okay, I see one that says puppet show. I think we're in the in the clear on this. Um, out of Indiana. If any person has a puppet show, wire dancing, or tumbling act in the state of Indiana and receives money for it, they will be fined $3 under the act to prevent certain immoral practices. Does it say when this law was enacted? Because I kind of want to guess. Um, it does not. This is The site I go to sometimes has like the full text of the law. This is not one that they have that on. Well, my guess is this is like the 1860s. So we're going to put it there. This definitely sounds like something out of like an episode of Parks and Rec, though. (laughs) Well, $3 was a lot of money in the late 1800s. So who knows? If you know the answer, Scofflaws, email us, post on our Facebook, all that fun stuff. Yes. Yes. Please let us know if you know when this law is from, or if you're in the, in Indiana, if you've ever seen it uh, in practice. I'd pay good money to see that. But, yeah, I you know I would too, and they'd probably be finding another three dollars. <laughs> All right, scofflaws. Uh, this has been scofflaws: a history of law and disorder. I'm Sean, and this has been Kate. Say bye, Kate. Bye, Kate. Good luck. We're all counting on you.